0: Forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot forward slash Bible. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Much of what passes for religious debate is driven by a desire to be pure or to be right. A lawyer approaches Jesus to make sure he knows how to follow the law so that he can be right. A rich man approaches Jesus seeking the best of both worlds. He wants to be right and keep his money. When we believe that we are right or good because we have followed the law, we look down upon those who have not achieved the purity we imagine of ourselves. That's why the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus with the question about divorce. The Lord's response to the Pharisees echoes the teaching of 1 Corinthians you are puffed up because you think you have mastered the law. Why then is your wise teaching dividing the household? Who is worse, the victim of divorce or the false teachers who cause it? Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, And this
0: is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And you are listening to episode 177 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Too often, Christians talk about the Old Testament as though it has passed away, as something negative that Jesus somehow overcame or did away with when he brought his new teaching. But this is not what the terms old and new mean within the biblical canon. The terms old and new simply refer to the scope of the covenant. There's an original covenant that included a limited set of people, but the aim of that covenant was to expand and to create a new covenant that incorporated everyone. That's what it's about. It's about a movement from a small beginning with a small group of people whose duty it was to spread the teaching until you could make a new agreement that included everyone in God's household. The problem is that Christians go another direction. They say, oh, these Old Testament rules were so abusive and so
0: cruel and so backwards, and Jesus came to teach us how to love our neighbor. First of all, loving the neighbor already was in the Old Testament. So if you want to say it's old and therefore it's passed away, how do you deal with these things that jesus then underscores and emphasizes that come from the old testament jesus is representing torah to the gentiles as you've talked about father he's bringing this teaching to a new audience from before it was in hebrew and now it's in greek that's why for
1: christians although the canon is broken into an old and a new covenant the reality is for us it's one book it's not as though you have two books slammed together it's one book the book is handed down as a complete tradition. And so when Christians say, well, the law no longer applies, it's laziness, it's intellectual laziness, it's a shortcut taken by theologians to avoid the difficulties of working out all of the contradictions that are presented in the Old Testament. But those contradictions are presented for edification. The law, as we've said many times, is presented to the character of Israel in the Old Testament as a way to expose Israel's shortcomings for Israel's sake. For the sake of humility, it becomes a stumbling block. You stumble over the tree of knowledge in the garden. The tree of knowledge is the knowledge that comes from God's instruction. It shows you that you're naked. It sets a bar that's unattainable or that's grueling and humiliating in a way in a way that someone looks foolish when they're running around trying to arrange everything the way the Torah wants them to arrange it on the table, in the garden, in the field, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, you know how the scriptures talk. So that eventually you realize you're a grown adult but you can't fulfill these requirements You're supposed to be left scratching your head. Well, if I can't fulfill these requirements, how can I claim I'm better than someone else?
0: Right, and so then the natural inclination is, well, I like these ones. I don't like those ones. These rules apply. These rules don't apply. And then you end up, the ones that you seem to be good at happen to be the ones that are more inspired than the ones you happen to be bad at. Those aren't inspired. When people say the Old Testament no longer applies and all this they really pick and choose i mean do they really believe that genesis 1 through 3 is no longer applicable that would be very strange how do you read the first chapter of john without the first chapter of genesis i don't know how you do it how do you read the sermon on the mount without reading exodus Are you really saying it's passing away? Are you saying, oh, we like Genesis 1 through 3, Exodus 1 through 19, after 19 it gets boring because it's about the tabernacle and how to build a tabernacle and we don't build tabernacles anymore. I like Ruth and I like Esther, but I don't like Judges. Joshua is offensive. Then people just pick and choose and they create their own individual canon.
1: Now, there is a law, so to speak, which is itself a character in the books of the law and this is why people get confused because the law namely the character within the torah was given to the character israel in the story and the relationship between that law and the people of israel is different than the relationship between that law and the gentiles who were brought into the tent but that law is a character within the actual law. What's interesting about the Old Testament is it doesn't say this is the law and pull out these verses. It says the Pentateuch is the law, but the Pentateuch's a story. What laws? People who like to undermine the Bible say, which law do you follow? But Scripture is very smart. It obscures the answer to that question, and you've mentioned how rabbis debate: what is the actual law? The tradition is that the law is the five books. And you can't pin it down. So This is, I think, where people get confused. Paul made it very clear that it's okay to eat pork, or at least it's okay for you to sit down with people who eat pork. So he's not saying that the rule against eating certain types of food still applies, but it doesn't annul the binding nature of God's commandment. This is a very difficult nuance, but it is illuminated and elucidated beautifully in Mark
0: chapter 10. The word Paul uses for Torah is nomos. And nomos does mean law, but Torah does not mean law in the way that we understand law. Torah means teaching. That's why the first five books can be a teaching, why the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, can be a teaching. It is Torah, it is God's Torah. When I write, I go back and forth, I talk about God's instruction And I talk about Torah because they are interchangeable. And when you read Paul and you see the word in English translation, law, substitute instruction and see what it sounds like because that is a viable way of understanding that word.
1: Hellenized Westerners think that instruction is philosophy and philosophical principles and ideals. We talk about conservative ideals, progressive ideals, but all of this sadly boils down to ideology and that's why it fails us scripture takes a totally different approach it's supremely practical the commandment is the same as the instruction this drives westerners crazy because they think that we should teach critical thinking i call malarkey uncritical thinking what is critical thinking it's an imaginary friend you've just created to self-justify not forcing teachers to relay content to disciples That's why they talk about classrooms in the third world where kids are forced to stand up and recite from wrought memorization. They call those schools backwards, because somehow they think instruction is something abstract. But real instruction has to be concrete, because if you don't know facts, what do you know and of what do you think critically? So scripture begins with behavior, philosophy begins with thought, which is abstract, intangible, and infertile. Scripture begins with fertility, pregnancy, and birth. It forces you to begin by having a baby, and then it shows you by way of commandment how to take care of the baby, and then simply by following the commandments that govern that relationship, you suddenly find yourself acting as a parent. Not because scripture explained parenting, This is why people will make millions of dollars out of these self-help books, because they don't work. There's no self-help. You have to give instruction, which is equated with law because it boils down to doing behaviors that you don't yet understand. Once you get this, then you begin to understand how even the law itself and the behaviors that it's imposing has an ulterior motive. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Which we now know means to give them the commandment. It's the same thing.
0: We all know what Jesus does when there's a crowd. He teaches. And he went beyond the Jordan. He went outside of the land. Because, don't forget, Jesus is still all about spreading the seed. Mark reminds you that this is what he does he spreads seed he teaches he's expanding the old covenant
1: with the small group to the new covenant that encompasses people beyond the jordan some pharisees came up to jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife the character within the torah the law the nomos that was presented in the old covenant to the people of god was given to Israel to cause them to stumble. Which means that the strictest laws imply higher levels of self-righteousness among the people. If I tell you, don't eat pork, and you stumble and you eat pork, mission accomplished, because now you understand you're a sinner. But what if you were really good at not eating pork? And you eliminate it from your diet, and then you see those Gentiles eating pork, and you start to roll your eyes and gossip, then we've got a problem. So then what is God going to do? He's going to look to see other areas where it's harder for you not to stumble. It's one thing not to eat pork. It's another thing to be faithful to your spouse, especially when reciprocity and economic stability and wealth was all tied up in the ancient world in marriage. Divorce was a big deal. It wasn't just because you didn't like the person, the way Americans say, I fell out of love, which is such an irrelevant expression. I don't even know how to approach the meaning of that expression because it has no bearing in reality, it has no weight.
0: It has no kabod. They didn't have separate bank accounts back then, one for the husband and one for the wife.
1: Divorce here is a pregnant problem because it has bearing and weight. And people get divorced not because of a whim, but because there's something going on sociologically. There's gain and there's loss. That divides community.
0: Pharisees and scribes are in this business of interpreting Torah. How do we apply it so people can live their lives? How do we make it practical for people? That's why they get into these debates. But the aim of the law is to
1: cause you to stumble. This is why the law is linked with death. This is what Paul is saying about Deuteronomy. The purpose of the law is to use your sin not only for your sake, but for the sake of the Gentiles. That's how Paul talks in Romans. So what I'm saying to you is the Pharisees are asking about divorce because they're trying to prove who's pure and who's not pure. But when Jesus speaks about divorce, when he's quoting or referring to the law of Moses, which comes from his father, he is preaching this instruction in order to show everyone that no one is pure. This is how the law can either be a weapon in the hands of the self-righteous or an implement of mercy in the hands of the one judge. Because the one judge knows that purity has nothing to do with pork and it has nothing to do with the ritual or technical fulfillment of the rule about divorce. Because the commandment about divorce was given to break you, as David says in Psalm 50 to rub your heart till it's broken so that you become penitent so that you would love your wife and not divide the community. But what do they want from Moses? They want a way to get out of the law technically. They want to be able to say, I am pure because I technically followed what the law demands. And this is what Jesus is going after. This is what Paul is going after in his letters. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And they're referring to Deuteronomy here. The law was given for the same reason 1 Corinthians was given, so that you wouldn't divide the community selfishly because of your puffed-up ideas. Whether that puffed-up idea is this belief that you're full of the Spirit and other people are less than you Or your puffed up idea is this modern American theology about love, I fell out of love. Well, your fancy, silly idea is dividing the community, it's destroying the lives of your children, and causing suffering. That's what's being addressed. It's not whether or not it's an immutable or terrible sin,
0: or if there's a way to get out of technically the sin of divorce. I mean, who cares? So when the Pharisees approach him, they're starting out with a very strong argument. Moses said, meaning in Torah it's written, You can write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Divorce is permitted. Jesus then either has to say it's permitted or it's not permitted. If Jesus disagrees with the Pharisees, Jesus has to contradict Torah in the minds of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus is going to show how he understands Torah through the means of another part of Torah because He's going to show how Scripture interprets itself. You can't understand one piece separate from the other piece. You have to bring them together to try to come to some synthesis.
1: But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Moses wanted you to understand that whether you stay married or you get divorced, you are a sinner. To the extent that you have mistreated your wife, or conversely a wife has mistreated her husband, you have caused suffering for the body for the household in the old testament you would say the household of abraham in the new testament you would say the body of christ but it's the same function it's the household of faith so whether i give you a certificate of divorce or not you need to acknowledge that sin so that you would then in marriage or in divorce act with humility because you're not more pure if you stay married you can stay married and abuse your wife and abuse your children And be just as destructive for the household of faith as if you get divorced so in divorce or in marriage this is the point Moses is making you have to submit to one another as Paul would say in Ephesians out of reverence for Christ
0: this phrase hardness of heart English-speaking listeners are going to think this is hard-heartedness this is cold-heartedness this is meanness this is a lack of sympathy a lack of love a lack of warm feeling That's not what it means hardness of heart means stubbornness right right? stubbornness to do your own will so jesus is saying because moses knew you're gonna do what you're gonna do he said all right at least write a certificate of divorce at least put it in writing that you're divorcing it because i know you're not going to do what you're supposed to do in loving your spouse in submitting to your spouse so at least write a certificate of divorce. It's not because it's allowed to get a divorce, it's because I know you're gonna do it anyway, so I'm gonna lower the bar for you because I know you're, you're not gonna to listen to me anyway, you're not gonna do the right thing.
1: But the certificate of divorce hopefully will create some protection for those who might be injured by the breaking of this relationship, number one. Number two, it's evidence It's evidence of the fact that you've fallen short. And once
0: again, you are using it as evidence of your righteousness. And just to show you how this goes, in traditional Jewish teaching, when a woman got a certificate of divorce, that meant she could get remarried without being an adulterer. Because it was on file that she got a divorce. She wasn't just going off on her own. It was in writing, signed by a judge, and therefore she could go off. But then what happened? Then it became, ah, you can't remarry unless you get this. What happens if your husband is lost at sea we never recovered a body we don't know if he died or not and then the woman never was able to get remarried so even when you give a law out of mercy for the woman it's still twisted against her moses had to do this because you were getting divorced by saying phooey on her i'm not married to her anymore and then she was left in the lurch But from the
1: beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. And here, it doesn't mean one philosophically. It means at one, which is what Scripture is trying to achieve for human civilization. Paul does not want Greeks to become Jewish He wants the Greek and the Jew to live at one with each other, male and female,
0: at one with each other. When they become one flesh, they become one body. And as you mentioned, Father, this is exactly what 1 Corinthians is trying to do, is to keep the body together. Jesus is saying when the male and the female come together, they create one body that you are not supposed to tear apart. So you're not supposed to get divorced at all. God just knew that you're going to do what you're going to do, and at least you can do it in a merciful way. In your hard-hearted block-headed way but in the beginning god didn't want this to happen at all so you're going to give me the line that you're righteous because you divorce your wife the correct way let me tell you there's no correct way to divorce your wife god created one body when the male and the female came together how are you going to do that Except through the hardness of your heart and your blockheadedness. You have to be
1: perfect the way your heavenly father is perfect, and in scripture, his bride repeatedly betrays him. No one is thrown under the bus in history more than God is in scripture. He's the only true victim, but he remains steadfast. So, therefore, in 1 Corinthians, in what conflict with your neighbor, let alone your wife, do you have any excuse, O oh man? except to submit because god submits to you let's be serious if anyone has a claim against anyone god has a claim against the human race but he remains steadfast which means that divorce isn't just an issue it's the heart of the matter in scripture it's a big thing i'm not saying you can't get divorced that's not what moses is saying He's saying what Jesus is saying. Let's look at what's really at stake here. Because whether you're divorced or you're not divorced, what I'm really concerned about is whether you are serving the common good or serving yourself. And if you're self-righteous, if you believe there's a right way to get divorced or that
0: you're right for not getting divorced, we have a problem. It's about acting with mercy. When Paul criticizes the people for going to court, he says, can't you adjudicate these things yourselves within the community? But let's be honest. If you have to adjudicate them even within the community, it's because one person is not submitting to the other. If someone says, fine, it's yours, you have no reason to adjudicate it outside or inside the church. It's only out of hardness of heart that Paul gave you a mechanism for adjudicating it within the church. Exactly. And all
1: Paul and Jesus are doing in the New Testament is saying, okay, you didn't get the point, which is your unrighteousness. So now I'm going to tell you, you can't even look at a woman without committing adultery, as Jesus says elsewhere. Now what are you going to do? That means everyone's an adulterer. Aha! Now you get the message. You have to be perfect, and you can't be. So now what? Now what are you going to do? And in 1 Corinthians, when they finally get the message that they have to be perfect, they turn the gospel of grace into a free-for-all. And that's what Paul is fighting. It's not a free-for-all. Just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean you're off the hook. You still have to be perfect. And this kills the people who get straight A's. In school, you can get straight A's. In life, you can't get straight A's. If you get straight A's in life, you know what you become? A monster. In life, you can't check it all off the list because it's a figment of your platonic imagination, this good citizen. That's how we become abusers. I can't stress it enough, Richard. And that's why scripture is the only hope.
0: It's the anti-superman teaching. Well, in Corinth, it became a free-for-all, and then when the people who were in the free-for-all saw people who were following the law, they used their free-for-all nature, their free-for-all interpretation, to then oppress those who were working under the law. Exactly. It's always done in oppression and a power play. Everybody's guilty, whether it's the Pharisee or the paterfamilias.
1: The Pharisee's hitting you over the head with the Bible, And the paterfamilias is making fun of prostitutes and crippled people. Because both of them think that they're a superman. One because he thinks he's pure, and one because he thinks he's powerful. But in the end, it's the same functional sin, idolatry, because you set yourself above the one who joined male and female in Genesis. You better believe Jesus is going to come and put pressure on you to bow your head to the Lord. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Do not mess with the commandment unto life, which is table fellowship.
0: Marriage is godly. Divorce is not. But if you're going to be stubborn, get divorced anyway. At least follow the commandment to be merciful, as your Heavenly Father is merciful. You won't be as merciful as Him. But at least in your wicked ways, there will be a whiff of Of mercy in there somewhere. In
1: the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. Here we go. I don't know how much clearer Jesus can be. Now I have to be a little sympathetic to the disciples because Jesus is saying you have to do something you can't. And nobody gets this.
0: It's ungettable. And he's even saying that following Deuteronomy isn't as straightforward as you think it is. This is a remedial teaching again for the disciples. Now one thing that I find interesting in reading more and more of Mark, the disciples always have to kind of go aside for a remedial lesson, we keep seeing that. Now one thing I think is interesting, in the beginning the disciples were ready to go. They dropped their nets on the shore, their means of life as fishermen, they just dropped everything. The Pharisees though are well educated and I think this is one thing that's a significant difference is that There's a reason why the disciples need remedial lessons and that they don't really know Torah like Pharisees do. Now, Pharisees are under double judgment because they're supposed to know and they keep messing it up like they did in this passage. The disciples can't know Torah in the way that a Pharisee or a scribe, just like a person without a high school education who's been going to church all their life is just not going to understand the Bible as well as someone with a PhD because they've read it. Now, does that mean that the person with a PhD knows how to act according to mercy and not according to his own will? By no means. But it means that the person who is in the pew may need extra lessons to understand. What's interesting about what Jesus does is Jesus never says, you're supposed to understand this. He's always willing to give the remedial lesson. But what I want us to understand is we can't puff up the disciples as being perfect and great and all this stuff. They don't understand They need remedial lessons and we saw before even with remedial lessons they can still be rebellious so there's no virtue in the pharisees in their education there's no virtue in the disciples because of their lack of education the problem is none of them understand and jesus is going to approach the pharisees with a legal debate he's going to approach the disciples with a remedial lesson which underscores the point that we read in the very first verse of this section when jesus has to spread the seed he's going to spread the seed however he has to
1: and what's interesting about the closing two verses of this section is that you would expect jesus to cut them some slack and give them the explanation behind the confusion but he doesn't let them off the hook listen to how he answers them and he said to them whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. In other words, where Moses cuts you slack, I'm not going to give you any space. There's no middle ground. You are unrighteous. So notice how people want to say the Old Testament was so harsh and the New Testament is so nice. It's different and blah, blah, blah. It's all about love. It is all about love, but not the love that you fell out of. That's imaginary. It's about love that submits and suffers for the sake of the common good. It's the love that only comes from the recognition of your own unrighteousness, which produces the humility capable of slavery to the neighbor. So until you get the message, you better believe I'm going to remind you, you're not off the hook.
0: In English, the opposite of adultery is faithfulness. But I'm going to dispute that. The opposite of adultery is loyalty. God has been trying to get the people to be loyal, starting with Genesis one, trying to get them to remain loyal to him and his teaching. Everything is about being loyal. In Ephesians, being loyal to your spouse is being loyal to God. It's loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Everything is loyalty. That's why the crisis of Judas becomes such a big deal because he was disloyal not because he killed Jesus. It's not for murder. It's for disloyalty that he was looked down upon. Loyalty is central. That's why Jesus doesn't let the disciples off the hook. If you divorce your wife and marry another, you're disloyal. And he even furthers it because don't forget the original passage was you write a certificate of divorce from a man to a woman. Here he does both directions. If a man divorces his wife, etc. but if she divorces her husband and marries him, neither the man nor the woman is allowed to get a divorce. And this is revolutionary in that they're both equal under the judgment. But it's
1: unequal in 1 Corinthians where Paul deals with this at greater length. It's unequal in this sense. If one of the participants in the marriage has not accepted the authority of the law, they have a right to divorce you and you have to accept it. So, according to this teaching, if your wife is not a Christian and she wants to divorce you, you have no right to beg her to stay. You and your pop culture where the woman wants you to chase her or the man wants to be chased. Are you kidding me? Everybody's free. Just as you freely chose to be the slave of God the Father if they didn't. You can't impose marriage on them, and you need to then live with the consequences of them dumping you. It's a very difficult teaching, but it's the way of the cross. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've
0: just heard the Bible as Literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.